Good morning. Um, as Chris said, I'm David Speakman, and uh, it's an honor to be with you guys. Uh, greetings from Hope Church. I was actually able to go to our first service this morning and do an infant baptism, and then I was looking forward to speeding across town to be with you guys this morning. So it's an honor to be with you here to celebrate friendship and ministry together in Winston-Salem and, open, and to open up the scriptures. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up this morning to Luke chapter 19. We're going to consider the first 10 verses of this beautiful chapter of Luke's gospel. And as you're turning there, I just want to say what I, what I enjoy about Luke's gospel is it is, has these rich themes that are developed in such detail throughout the, the entirety of the, his work. And two of those themes come crashing together in a powerful way in this passage. Jesus has so many things to say through uh, Luke's gospel about riches, and he has so many things to say about the upside-downness, the reversal of the kingdom. And both of those things smash together in this encounter he has with Zacchaeus, who is a rich man, and the kingdom comes to him in beautiful ways. You might know the little jingle about Zacchaeus. He's the wee little man. The wee little man was he. I'm sorry, that's going to be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. But it's so beautiful to see that this wee little man who's insignificant and on the outside of so many things is the pathway, is the, the, the showcase for us of the possible impossibility of the salvation of God. That God is a, Jesus is a seeking and a finding Savior. And so whether you're lost in a far country or outside the doorstep of home, whether you are uh, a wandering sheep or a lost coin or you're hidden in a mess of your own making, Jesus is making a beeline to you through his word today. He's a seeking and finding Savior, even of people like us. So let's give our attention to God's word from Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus! Hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to, the, to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Friends, let's pray together as we come to the Word this morning. Lord, your Word is opened up before us, and we would not come to your Word presumptuously, but we simply ask that you do what you're, with your Word what you always do, that you'd bring comfort where we need comfort, and Lord, we need comfort. You'd bring conviction where we need conviction. Lord, would you wake us from our numbness and our slumber and the ordinariness of our lives? Would you take the scales off of our eyes? Would you unstop our ears? Lord, would you soften our hearts, quicken them to believe all that is spoken of you in your outstanding allure of seeking and finding 
lost things and making them found again. We pray it in your name. Amen. Some of you might know the, the name Mike Kanjin. He's a fellow PCA pastor in the Baltimore area, somewhat of a statesman in our denomination. He regularly sends out updates from his own ministry to a group of fellow pastors, and he describes different encounters he has with people in his ministry. And one came into my inbox not too long ago that really captivated me and, and brought me up short about my own sense of what it means to be lost and what it means to be found. Mike was invited to make a pastoral visit to an elderly man in the community. And when he arrived at the man's house, he opened the door, and immediately he was smacked in the face with the, just the reek of stale cigarette smoke, which gave way evidence of a chain smoker suffering from emphysema, now staring down the barrel of a lung cancer diagnosis. Five years prior, this man had lost his alcoholic wife of some 25 years, and now he was alone to deal with that diagnosis and to pick up the pieces of his life. But once inside that veil of stale smoke, he encountered a really bewildering scene. Uh, it was apparent that perhaps in the past five years, no one had ever picked up anything in the house. So there were books and art and dog food bags and kitchen clutter and dust. It just filled this once beautiful, now dilapidated space. And it was overwhelming to Mike as he was trying to concentrate on this man before him and listen to him. Well, the man cleared off a, a space for him to sit down. He sat down and he's thinking to himself, this house is a mess. And he was overwhelmed by the mess of it. When he looked up and on the wall over the man's shoulder was this plastic, chintzy little plaque that said simply in a clever turn of phrase, this mess is a house. <laughs> and that just stopped Mike in his tracks because all of a sudden, just that little bit of humor, that little turn of phrase, that little bit of reversal enabled him to see the man in front of him as a real person. And to see that this clutter, this disarray was a home. This mess is a house. I don't know about you. Maybe I do know about you because you're probably a lot like me. We have so many preconceptions, so many snap judgments, so many surface-level conclusions about who's in the kingdom and who's out, who's a likely candidate, who is too far gone, who's too much of a mess, and who would be right at home in God's kingdom. And Jesus is so kind to us that He comes through the pages of the Gospel this morning and he reorients us. He turns those misconceptions and perceptions and judgments upside down. He's telling us who the sinners are and who the righteous are. You might remember that in one of the passages preceding the one that we're looking at this morning, this rich young man comes to Jesus and the disciples, and they are thrilled. Because this guy knows the Scriptures. And this guy has resources. He's got an upside. And if they could get him into the disciples, if they could get him into the, into the train, they could hitch their wagon to him and the kingdom would grow. And what, what, a, what a blessing that would be. This was the person that they could ride to glory. And yet, he walks away sad because he's a rich man. And the disciples are thinking, well, if he walks away, who can be saved? And Jesus says, uh, how difficult it is for the rich 
to be saved, to enter into the kingdom of God. It's easier to, for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to become a believer. And they say, well, how's it, how, who can be saved? And Jesus says, with man, what is impossible becomes possible with God. Jesus is dismantling and reversing and upending our perceptions and snap judgments and considered conclusions about who is a likely candidate and who's not. In Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector, rich, lost man, disdained and ridiculed by those who should have called him brother, that call him a sinner, don't even use his name, he is the possible impossibility of God. And in doing this, Jesus is reorienting for us what it means to be lost and what it means to be found. And so let's give our ears to that this morning. What does it mean to be lost? What does it mean to be found? So first of all, what does it mean to have our lostness reoriented? So often we have a, a working conception of lostness as crisis or deficit, poverty, mess. And Luke is helping reorient our understanding of what lostness really is because he deliberately places this passage after Jesus' encounter with the blind man on the side of the road. Chapter 18, verses 35-43. through The blind man, obvious in his need. You can document it. He is unable to care for himself. He's crying out from a very felt need to Jesus. Crying out for mercy. This man is down and out, and it is obvious. You can photograph it. Poverty and crisis and mess often look like poverty and crisis and mess. And then you have Zacchaeus, this rich man, bookended and juxtaposed with his previous encounter, and he's the chief tax collector. Verse 2 tells us he's a rich man. Verse 10 tells us he is a lost man. Lostness often doesn't look like lostness. You can be up and out just as you can be down and out. Lostness can often look like an impeccable wardrobe, right? Losses can look like a pedigree of education. Losses can look like more square footage than you know what to do with. Losses can look like success and altruism and sincerity and earnestness. Losses can look like Great vacations and being a great dad and having obedient, compliant children. Losses can look like being a responsible member of your community. It can look like flourishing investments and uh, insurance and uh, college funds fully funded. It can look like a fat wallet, but it can also look like an open hand. Generous giving. How can I be of use in this community? But along with all of that, this inescapable, nagging sense of being cut off from the God whose image you bear. This sense of being alienated from the lover of your soul, the one who made you to know Him and to be known by Him, to receive and thrive in His embrace. Friends, there are some things that money cannot buy. Zacchaeus doesn't have a single one of those things. He doesn't have any of the things that money can't buy. And he is lost. His hard work can't produce it. His virtue cannot secure it. His fulfilling vocation cannot yield it. He did not have Jesus, and that made him lost. 
many years ago, uh, the pastor, Donald Gray Barnhouse, pastor of 10th Pres in Philadelphia, asked a question, what would things look like if Satan really took over control of our city? And so he spun out his own version of what that would look like. He said if Satan took over Philadelphia, all of the bars would be closed, and pornography would be banished, and pristine streets would be filled by tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. The children would say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And churches would be full every Sunday where Christ was not preached. You can have everything that money can buy and not have Jesus, and that makes you lost. There are some things that money cannot buy, and Zacchaeus did not have those things. And without Christ, he is lost, and he knows it. And so in verse 3, he seeks to see Jesus. He runs on ahead, climbs a tree, just to get close to what he sniffs out could be something like relief, something like foundness in his lostness. Lostness doesn't always look like lostness. Now, it might be that you're here this morning and say, I've been found. Hallelujah. If you have Jesus, how do I steward lostness? Well, verse 7 tells us here that you've got to be aware that there's a strong undertow pulling you and me to grumble in judgment when sinners act like sinners. It says, they saw Jesus and they all grumbled. They were gloating that they had a less messy life than Zacchaeus did. Or maybe they were grumbling in FOMO, fear of missing out. Because the wrong people seem to be getting close to Jesus and He's giving them the attention and not to the right people. What I love about found is that grammatically it is a wonderfully passive word. It doesn't say Zacchaeus found himself or you found yourself. You are found by who? By, by the Lord Jesus. Such were some of us. What do you not have? What do you have that you've not received? The Apostle Paul says, Why do you boast as though you, you, you did not receive it? So, not judgment, but rejoicing should come out of our mouths when we see lostness turning into foundness and grace magnified and Jesus esteemed and loved and valued. If you're found and if you have Jesus, how do you steward your lostness? You also need to be aware that there's a strong undertow tempting you to covet and to look with wistful longing at the prosperity of what seem to be the wicked or the lost folks. Their apparently designer life with all the enticing upgrades and the freedom and the security and the options and the control. But let's, let's be honest, right? David Wilcox says that there's a hole in the middle of a pretty good life. So the lawyers and the prophets say, and not your father, and not your mother, and not your lover will ever make it go away. Some of the most harrowing words in Scripture are spoken in Luke chapter 16 is Jesus is giving the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man is saying in torment, uh, could you send Lazarus to dip his finger in a cup of water and uh, send me a drop of water down my way to relieve my torment? And Father Abraham from heaven says, you received your good things in your lifetime and now you're in anguish. Don't give in to the undertow of grumbling. Don't give in to the undertow of coveting. Point yourself 
and those folks to Jesus who alone can fill that hole, that design deficit. Now, it might be that you're here this morning and you say, I'm not found, I'm lost. And I want to say something that on the surface might seem callous, and it's definitely counterintuitive, but if you are lost and you are here today and you know it, rejoice. Kierkegaard says the specific characteristic of despair is precisely this, it is unaware of being despair. Walker Percy, the the wonderful Southern author, often said, there is no person so lost as the person who does not know that she is lost. If you know that you're lost, rejoice because it means God is revealing something to you. Quit trying to fill that hole with square footage. Quit trying to fill that hole with the, the pretty good life. Quit trying to fill that hole with anything but Jesus. Let the meaninglessness of your affluence and success drive you off the treadmill of indulgence and self-reliance and accumulation. Bring your lostness to Jesus today. He can give you those things that money can never buy. And here's the great news about this passage. He's the one looking for you. And so that helps us understand not just what lostness is, but what foundness is. Let's have our idea of foundness reoriented by this passage as well. What is our default innate understanding of what it means to be found? I think it goes something like this. Get yourself together. Clean up your mess. Knock on the right doors. Present a reputable resume of why you should be admitted in. And then let the door swing open wide and enter in on your own two feet. This was very powerfully illustrated for me recently. My son Sam just turned 16 at the end of March, and we booked our appointment to go to scenic Yadkinville to the driver's license center to get his driver's license. And of course, you don't just show up. You have to have an appointment, 8 o'clock Tuesday morning. You have to have your old learner's permit. We had that. You have to have a confirmation number. We had memorized a confirmation number. You have to have the 60 hours of driving logged and printed and signed in duplicate. You have to have proof of insurance, proof of citizenship, proof of your home address. You have to have $21.50 exact change or don't even think about going in that room. <laughs> and so we took our place in line and we were having our papers in order and the, the driver's license Agent came out and he started asking us, do you have the 2150? Do you have your confirmation number? Where's the proof of citizenship? And we were just giving him all the papers. And he literally stepped back in front of this group of people, tilted his head back and said, I love dads who have their paperwork in order. (laughs) And I said, I'm that dad today. (laughs) Yeah. And then he said, come on in. And he opened the door and my son went in and he got his driver's license. How can we not import that into our understanding of Jesus and how His kingdom works? But let's push the illustration a little bit more uncomfortably. How bizarre would it be if we'd woken up on that morning and someone was knocking on our door and saying, are you Sam Speakman? Are you Sam Speakman's father? Yes. Is this your confirmation? Yes, this is our confirmation number. Here's the driver's license. What if he was knocking on my door instead of me hoping that he'd let me into his door? That is the wonderful reversal of foundness in the gospel that leaps off the pages of Luke 19 for us this morning. 
Dr. Kurt Thompson says, we are all born into this world looking for someone looking for us. We're all born into this world looking for someone that's looking for us. In wonder of all wonders, Jesus is the one knocking on your door, searching for you, looking out for you, even as you look for Him. And so the wonderful reversals of the Gospel and foundness come so clearly on the page for us this morning. Zacchaeus is insistent, determined to see Jesus. Verses 3 and 4, he climbs a tree to gain an advantage, perhaps uh, get some perspective, completely out of character, completely inappropriate, completely childlike. And then what's the reversal? Jesus is making a beeline to him. The crowd shifts. He's determined to meet Zacchaeus. He comes to his tree. He stands underneath his limb. He looks up at Zacchaeus so that he, he can lock eyes and see face to face the one who so desperately longs to see him. The seeker has now become the one who is sought. Verse 10, Jesus is a seeking and finding Savior. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He's not waiting for you. He's coming to you. What's another reversal we see here? Zacchaeus, the outsider, the unwelcome. Zacchaeus, the object of scorn and judgment, the traitor, the extortioner, the ill-gotten gainer and therefore unlovable, walks around with a stigma on his back, whispered about, or probably just outright cussed out as he walks down the street. And so what's the reversal? Jesus comes to his limb, his tree, looks at him in the eyes, and he calls Zacchaeus by name, Zacchaeus. Hurry and come down. How lovely that must have sounded on Zacchaeus' ears. You are capable of and welcome to be found by me, Jesus seems to be saying. Everyone else just calls him a sinner. Jesus calls him by name. He's named and known and lovable and recoverable. He's a son of Abraham, Jesus says, a long lost child of the king. There's an idiom that I grew up hearing often in the South. I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and if someone really laid into you and cussed you out, you might hear someone say something like, well, they called you everything but a child of God. <laughs> Zacchaeus has been called everything but a child of God. And what does God say? He's a child of God. Zacchaeus does not, he's not seen as he sees himself. Jesus does not see him as others see him. What's the other reversal we need to look at this morning? Jesus is not waiting for Zacchaeus to get his mess and his house in order. He simply invites himself into the mess, into the home, has table fellowship with him, intimacy, identification, relationship. Verse 6, Zacchaeus receives him joyfully. And Jesus says, salvation, in other words, the Savior has come to this house today. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He's not waiting for you to get your stuff together. He's bold enough to invite Himself into your life, not waiting for you to invite Him into yours. The last reversal we want to look at is simply this. Zacchaeus is into the kingdom, and Jesus is getting the kingdom into him. And so his life completely reverses, doesn't it? The craving, the scheming, the hoarding, the defrauding, 
the profiting from, the clinging to money with a clenched fist is now opened and the extortioner becomes the benefactor. The one who defrauds becomes the one who blesses. The one who would give up nothing in order to have it now becomes the one who sacrifices with generosity. When salvation comes to your house, your house begins to change. And we step back and we say, how can this impossibility become possible? How can this great reversal happen? We go back to verse 1 of our passage. He entered Jericho and was passing through. What happens to Zacchaeus' lostness, to his sin and his guilt and his shame? Jesus is passing through Jericho, and you know where he's going? He's going to Jerusalem. He said it all the way back in chapter 9, verse 51. He's making this steady journey to Jerusalem, not to visit friends and celebrate the Passover, but to become the Passover lamb. To be crucified, beaten with an inch of his life, spat upon, treated as a criminal, to die a sinner's death, a criminal's death, and as we celebrated last week, to rise victoriously on the third day. Zacchaeus' lostness, his sin, his shame, his guilt, my lostness, my sin, my shame, my guilt, do not disappear. They are transferred. There's a reversal that happens. The exalted one becomes the humbled one. The first born of all creation becomes the least and the last. The beloved Son becomes the forsaken one. Jesus cries out on the cross in dereliction. The insider becomes the outsider. The righteous becomes the sinner. The innocent becomes the guilty. Jesus stands under Zacchaeus' tree and calls him down to newness of life so that he could be lifted up on his own tree, the cross, and take his shame away and give him the righteousness that he could not purchase. He could not secure on His own. Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake, became poor. So that rich people, those outside, the lost, can be found. And found in Him not having a righteousness of their own. But it only comes through faith in the Gospel. And so the hymn writer says, Hallelujah, He has found me. Hallelujah, the one my soul so long has craved. Jesus Jesus satisfies all of my longings. Through His blood I now am saved. That's what it means to be found. That's how the impossible becomes possible for lost people like me. So Mike Kansian is sitting in this cluttered house. He's been reoriented to this, this mess is actually a house. And he sees the man in front of him and he begins to now be able to focus on him and listen to him and attend to him. And he learns this man is just filled with all sorts of regrets. All sorts of sadness. He was raised Presbyterian, hadn't been in church in 50 years. And so they talked together about the, the father's fondness for prodigals. About the difference between denominations and Christianity about the reality of sinfulness and the definition of redemption. They discussed forgiveness and the call of Jesus to follow Him. And finally, the man asked, Mike, how does this happen? And they prayed, and that messy, emaciated, smoke-saturated, sad, dying man was found by the seeking and finding Savior. Savior. 
The fact is, no matter how lost you feel, how hidden you feel, how unseen you feel, how ridiculed and judged the mess of your own making or the mess of someone else's making becomes the house for Jesus to settle down and be at home in your heart by faith. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we praise You that You even now, through Your Word, through the gathered worship of Your people, are making a beeline to us. Would You find us? Would You embrace us? Would You change us? In Your name we pray. Amen.